Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, something in my life from when I was in my 20s that if you're a church person might scandalize you, and if you're not a church person might make you go, oh, okay, maybe this guy's okay. So when, when Terry and I were in our early 20s, um, or maybe mid-20s, we had two kids, okay? We were on our way to a third. Uh, we had all three of our kids very early, and they were all at the same time. So there was a point in our lives it felt like the longest point of our lives where all three of our kids were in diapers at the same time. Okay. It was awful. <laughs> Thank God for the di- diaper genie, but good Lord, that diaper genie. Whoo, stunk. So anyway, that's not the story. But the story is this. When, I, when we were in our early 20s and we had two kids, life just changes drastically. Okay, because when you don't have kids, you go out to dinner at 9 o'clock. You're laying at home and you're like, you know, it's 10 o'clock. Let's go to a late movie. Why not? You do whatever you want. But then all of a sudden when you have babies, everything changes. And all of a sudden, you're like, your baby's in bed at 7 o'clock or 7.30, and you're sitting there going, what are, we, what are we doing right now with our lives? We're stuck at home. And so every weekend, we used to go out and have fun, and now we had babies, we couldn't do that. So we started a weekly poker game at our house with some of our close friends. And it was, real, it was a real poker game, okay? So there was like a buy-in, and like, so we had a friends come, and everybody would bring like some food, maybe some pizzas or salad, and, and everyone would bring their $10 buy-in, and we would play a legit awesome game of poker where at the end of the night, whoever won would take away all the winnings and would come out way ahead. So now like before you start to freak out and go, gambling is our pastor, gambling, oh my goodness. Here's the thing. This was, we did it every week. Um, we had a rock-solid group of friends that was there with us every weekend, and, and we would bring new people in all the time. It was just a blast. It was a great hangout. And the thing for us is this, is that if you just look at it as, like, money, <laughs> it's like, wow, that is, I don't know if that's a, a good use of money, to just blow your money on poker every weekend. Although, I would make the argument that I won enough in the long run that we came out ahead. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. So, but here's the thing, when we, when we thought about this, because Terry and I talked about this, because we grew up in church, right? And like, when you grow up in church, there's a little bit of that thing where it's like, you know, don't play pool because it's the devil's game. Um, you don't play cards because Satan is in every one of them, and every card you flip, a spiritual demon is going to flop up into your life. You know what I'm saying? That's like, that's like when you're raised in church, that's some of the background stuff. And so, as we were, when we were doing this, we started talking about, like, is this okay? Can we do this? And and especially like when it came to the money. Okay, so the first time we played poker with this group of friends, it wasn't at our house where we took control of the situation. It was at one of our friends' house, and, and the buy-in was $20. And so we both went, and Terry and I both bought into the game. I mean, and that's, dude, if you're like newly married, you know, like $40, what? And so it was our first time really playing poker with a group of friends. And, and because of that, and because I'm a man... I immediately lost that $20 in the first five minutes of the game. And now, again, because I'm a man, I couldn't just sit there for the next two hours while everyone kept playing, and I had to buy back in because I had to win back my money. So I bought back in 20 so now we're $60 in. I made it 10 more minutes this time. Okay, at least I doubled my time before I went out. And because, again, because I'm a man, I went back in again. And we, so seriously, guys, we spent $80 the first night we played poker and we drove home, and we were just like, never again. And my, I'm white knuckle on the steering wheel. I'm so mad, and I'm embarrassed. I'm just disgusted that we blew $80. Like, we are never doing this again. So when we started playing these games at our house, and we lowered the buy-in to $10 and $20, we really had to process and say, is this okay? Is this money that, that is worth spending? 
And so we changed the way we thought about it. We stopped looking at it as a spending money on poker, and we looked at it as more of an investment in the night. So parents, think about this. How often do you get to go out with friends, hang out with them for five or six hours till the early morning, you get to eat food, you get to have a meal, you get to laugh. How often do you do that? And your babies, your kids are sleeping up in their bedroom, right? That never happens. But for us, we could spend 20, maybe $30 if my manhood popped up and I lost and I had to buy in again. Maybe we'd spend $20 a weekend and we would have five or six hours with our friends. We'd get to eat, we'd get to hang out, and we didn't have to pay a babysitter. And so when we thought about it as an investment, we realized this is a great investment. This is a great investment because if we had to pay a babysitter, it would cost us more than that. If we paid a babysitter and then went out to eat, it would cost us way more than that. So we changed our perspective in thinking about it. And when we thought about our poker nights as an investment, all of a sudden, it just, it just worked out. And it was good. It was money well spent instead of money that we'd kind of just blown on a poker game. Now, we've been in this message series called Different. And what we've been talking about this is this. How can we begin living a life that is different? Different than people around us, different than people we work with or go to school with. How can we live a life that's tangibly different? How can we begin thinking differently so that we can live different and be different so that then we can make a difference? And today, I want to talk to you about thinking differently about money. Now, some of you guys, if you're not a Christian, you're not a church person and you're here, maybe you've been coming to Compass for a little bit and you're going like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, I've been hanging out, coming to Compass, the music's kind of good, but I've just been waiting for them to talk about money because here we go, dog. All right, bring the televangelist out, you're going to ask for my wallet. Okay, that's not what it's going to be, but if you're not a Christian, if you're not a church person, here's what I'm going to say. The principles and the things that we're going to talk about today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, they're not really for you. you don't have, this, you're not bound by this, but I will tell you this, that the principles I'm going to talk about today work, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. So I'd encourage you, man, check in. Just see what we have to say. If you're a follower of Jesus, what I'm going to talk to you about today, about thinking differently about our money, is exactly what Jesus talks about as it relates to how we relate to our finances and to our money. And so maybe you've never heard this before, even as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never thought about it this way before, but that's the whole point. We want to begin thinking different so we can live different so that we can make a difference. And I want us today to ask this question of ourselves. What if we stopped viewing our money as something that we spend and start thinking about our money as something that we invest? What if we viewed every penny that we spent or what if every penny that we spent actually meant more, had a greater impact, not because we spent it, but because we invested it? How can we begin thinking differently about our money? So, so let's just go through this. What is the difference between spending and investing anyway? So spending, here's what spending is. Spending equals your money is gone, right? You have money, you go spend it on a meal at McDonald's. You spend it on gas, you spend it on buying a new computer, a laptop, iPad, TV, whatever. You have money, you spend it on something, and then when you have that something, the money is gone. There's no way to get it back, it's, it's gone. The only way to get that money back is to earn new money and to restock the money that you had in the account. So when you spend money, that money is gone. You can't access, you can't utilize it anymore. And so, so when it comes to money that we spend, I think when we think about it as, as something that we spend, it, the default kind of setting is that we want to hold on to it as much as possible. Why? Because it's a finite resource. When that finite resource is gone, it's gone. So when we have a spend mindset about our money, when we think about our money as something that is spent, 
we try to hold on to it as much as we possibly can. But an investment, an investment is different because when you spend money, your money is gone. When you invest your money, your money's still around. And actually, when you invest money, your money actually becomes something that grows. It becomes something that develops into, into a greater value. And, and it's not even just finances. I mean, you can invest in the stock market or a 401k, and your money will become more money. I mean, that's just, that's just investing. But, but think about investing money in things like education. We don't, you don't think about your education as something I spend money on. I think about my education as something I invest in because I invest in my education and I get a degree, which makes it possible for me to, to have a better career in the future or to make more money in the future. I invest in my retirement, and it's not just money that I'm getting back. When I invest in my retirement, my money becomes security. It becomes less worry for my future. It becomes a security that I'm going to be okay sometime in the future. We, we invest in a car for our 16-year-old children. And that's an investment because here's the thing. I don't have to now go to the store anymore. My money becomes more than just what it was. It's not just a tra- an equal trade to get a vehicle. It's now an equal trade that my 16-year-old can drag all my other kids out all over the place, and I can sit home and eat ice cream and watch TV. That is an investment in my leisure, okay? An investment takes your resources, it takes your money, and it puts it into something where it becomes something bigger. When you invest in something, your money's not something you spend and it's gone, but instead your money is it's a seed that you plant in the ground, and then that seed grows. And it becomes something more than just what you planted. In fact, that's exactly how Jesus and much of the New Testament uh, think and, and talk about money. When Jesus talks about money, he, he refers to it often as a seed that is planted. That's how he viewed it. In fact, this, let's take a look at just really quickly at what Jesus said. Because, because Jesus in the New Testament thought differently about money than all of the people at their time. And really than many of the people in our time. And, and thinking about money as seeds to be planted. Something to be invested. And Jesus started this new way of thinking about money. And he said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Don't spend your money. Okay, don't just look at your money as something to spend, because when you spend it, it's just gone. It's, it disappears. It, it's gone. And he says this, but instead, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. So even in Jesus' mind, there's this difference in how he and, and his followers are, are supposed to think about money. It's not something that we spend that can, is just that is gone and, and dispensed with once we get rid of it, but it's something that we invest in that sticks around and becomes something more. So even just, just from a practical perspective, okay, forget the spiritual implications. Investing is better than spending because you still have it. It's becoming something better, something bigger. But then Jesus, as, as he often did, pushed us to think about our money in a spiritual way and to think about the implications of our resources from a spiritual perspective. And he says this, don't just spend your money, but invest it. And he said this, don't let, don't let the things that you need, don't let, let the things you need to spend money on even be your first priority. In fact, he says this, let your first priority be investing in the kingdom of God. Let your first priority be investing in the things that will have a greater spiritual return. And here's the, every investment, think about this, from, just from an investment perspective, every investment has an ROI, all right? You maybe have heard ROI. ROI means return on investment. So every investment that you will ever make, it has a return. 
that comes with it. When you invest in your 401k, there might be a 2%, a 3%, a 5% return on that investment. You invest $100 and you're going to get $105 back. And I think the challenge for many followers of Jesus, I think for those of us who are Christians, I think the challenge for us, specifically as it comes to using our money, using our resources to invest in the kingdom of God, is that we don't really see a return on investment. I don't, think, I don't think any of us could really deny the fact that Jesus, the way he talks about money, he talks about this total surrender and this total submission to God of everything that we have and of all of our resources. So like, if we're just looking at you know, New Testament teaching and the way Jesus taught, there's really not an argument that says, I shouldn't invest in the kingdom of God with my money. But I think the thing that makes that from a head knowledge thing that's easy to say I'm not going to do into a life step that we actually invest our resources in the kingdom of God is the fact that we don't really see the return on that investment. Like, I see a return when I pay my bills. Like, my power stays on. I still have the internet. There's a return on that investment. I see a return on investment when I buy a new TV because it's 4K and it looks stinking amazing. I can, like, that is a return on my investment. I can see that tangible return. I see a return on investment when I pay for my kids' guitar lessons because I can see them growing and improving and becoming more confident. I can see the return on those things. But when I drop a check into the offering, or I give a gift via text or online to the church, to the kingdom of God, I don't necessarily always see how that return happens. And I'm willing to bet that if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, and it is not a regular habit of yours to invest financially in the kingdom of God, I'm willing to bet that it has more to do with the fact that you don't really see a tangible return in your life. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about six things that happen when we invest in the kingdom of God. And some of you guys are like, six things. Dang, dude, how much time we got? I promise I'm going to go quick, I swear. I want to about six things that happen when you invest in the kingdom of God. Okay, so it, this would be a great Sunday. If you've never taken notes, this would be a great Sunday to pop out your notes app on your phone and write these things down. Okay, this is going to be really helpful for a lot of us. And so in, in the book, 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, the apostle Paul wrote it. It was a letter that he wrote to Christians. He was trying to encourage and teach them what it meant to really follow Jesus. And in the letter to the Corinthian church, um, Paul was addressing the fact that they were taking up this big offering. The Christians in the church in Jerusalem, they were going through a really difficult time. They didn't have a lot of money. Food was scarce. And so the Corinthian church, just like many of the other churches in, in the, the area of the time, were collecting money so that they could send it to Jerusalem so that they, those people could be taken care of, so they could, they could eat, you know. And Paul, in talking to the Corinthian church, he's already kind of addressed the fact that they are doing this. They are putting their money where their mouth is, and they're taking up this gift. And Paul, after talking to them about the importance of giving towards the kingdom of God, he points out a couple things that happen in their lives when they begin to live with open hands and they invest in the kingdom of God. And at the end of Paul's instruction on giving, he tells them what they can begin to expect to happen in their lives when they begin to do it. And these are things that you can expect to begin happening when you invest in the kingdom of God. Okay, so six things. I'm going to go through them real quick. First, when you invest in the kingdom of God, you will have all you need. When we invest in the kingdom of God, we will have all we need. This is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, this is right after his instruction on giving to the Corinthians. And he says this, when you do that, God will generously provide all you need. When you give, when you prioritize the investment in the kingdom of God, when you put the kingdom of God first with your resources and you give to support his priorities, God will take care of the rest. 
It's crazy. I mean, I'll tell you from my own life, my own experience, it blows my mind how often God asks big things of us when it comes to our financial resources, painful things, things where it's like, oh, my wallet's really deep down in my pocket. It's just inconvenient for me to get it right now, but maybe later. You know what I'm talking about? Or the zipper on my purse is stuck. Oh, I really love to do this right now, but I can't. And God asks those things of us. And time and time again, when we say yes to God, it is outrageous how often our needs have been met in ways that we never could have expected and never anticipated. And that happens because God promises that when we invest in his kingdom first, he will generously provide for all we need. See, God always makes sure that you have enough to live on when you have enough to give on first. He always does it. And it seems counterintuitive, right? It seems counterintuitive to the way that we think that, that when I get my paycheck, that the first thing I do is I give to, to the church, or I give to a ministry, or I give to God's priorities. It seems counterintuitive that if I take those resources off the table that I'll still have enough to live on. But the reality is, is that's just how God works. It just is. And the thing is, for many of you, you've never experienced that because the only way to know that that's how it works is to do it. The only way to know that that's how God provides for his people is to test him on it. In fact, this is interesting. The only time God ever tells people to test him is in the area of giving, where God says, test me in this, and I'll prove myself to you. I will prove that I will pour out the floodgates of heaven to meet all of your needs. And just last, final thought on this first thing. If you feel like you don't have enough to live on, you may not have an income problem. You might have a giving problem. If you feel like you don't have enough to make it, it may not be that you're not making enough. It may be that you're not giving enough. Because it may be that you're not leaning into God's promise that he will provide for you everything that you need when you give first. So the first thing that you can expect to see happen when you start giving towards God's kingdom is you will, be, you will begin to see that you have all your need. God provides it. Second thing that we can expect when we give is that we will bless others with our giving. Paul continues. He says, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Again, Paul reiterates, you're going to have everything that you need. And not only that, you're going to have plenty left over to share with others. You give first and you'll have more to share. And as the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. And their good deeds will be remembered forever. You see, giving towards what is important to God, it will always make a difference in the lives of other people. Always. When you give towards God's priorities, it will always affect a person's life. Why? Because people are what matters to God. People are what is important to him. People are his, people are his jam. They're what he's all about. And, and whether it's a regular gift to the church or whether it's a, a, you know, a special gift that you're giving to a missionary or whether it's just an investment that you make in a nonprofit that serves people, whatever it is, when you give towards God's priorities, it will make a difference. Let's talk return on investment for a second. Do you know how, how your church invests in the kingdom of God with the resources of those of you who regularly give? We, we regularly give to an organization called Feed One. Convoy of Hope is the, their overarching organization. They have a, a thing called Feed One. And basically it's this. For, for like $30, they can feed a kid for three months. Feed One regularly takes care of, of meeting the physical needs of children around the world. Your giving invests in that. Your giving invests in planting churches. Your giving invests, we support organizations that plant churches all around our country and around the world. 
Planting churches to communicate the gospel to people who don't know Jesus, who are far from him, far from the truth. Planting churches that are doing the same things we are in investing resources in feeding children and taking care of the poor and needy in their community. I mean, think about this. Like, we could give a ton of money to feeding the poor and needy, and then we plant churches who do the exact same thing we do, and we reproduce those same efforts. Your regular giving invests in giving towards church planting. We planted Nexus Church last year. Our resources, our people, our living with open hands made that possible. We support campus missionaries to Illinois State University every month. We're supporting them financially so that the students who come through our community have an opportunity to experience the love of Jesus. We invest in that. You invest in that with your giving every single month. We, we talked to, uh, we had Joel and Gail Van Briegel speak to us last week. They're missionaries to Eastern Europe. They literally feed, care for, provide clothing, and invest in, in refugees from Syria and other places around the world. They regularly invest in refugee camps, and we support them every month. We're investing in their ministry. In fact, all of these things are extensions of the ministry of Compass Church. Your giving does this. This is your return on investment. You may never be able to plant a church. You may never be able to go to Africa and prepare a meal for a child. You may never be able to go into a refugee camp and give clothes to a woman and her children. But we can invest in those things, and we do. And that's where your kingdom investment goes. It makes a difference. It blesses other people. Those of you who give are impacting the poor and needy around the world, around the globe. And that's an investment that Paul says is going to be remembered forever. How many times have you ever written a check for something and thought to yourself, boy, this check's going to be remembered forever. Maybe if you buy a really nice mattress. But that's like 10 years, right? I remember buying my mattress every time I lay down and go to bed. But a check that's going to be remembered forever? When you invest in the kingdom of God, you bless others. And that's something that's remembered forever. When we invest in the kingdom, we, first thing, we have all we need. The second thing, we bless others. And then Paul continues, the third thing is this. We will be equipped to be even more genuous. And Paul says, in the same way that God has provided for, for these people through you, and that they're going to rejoice and, and, and be blessed, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Okay, this is, I love this. Because first of all, like, talk about return investment. Who doesn't want to invest money in the kingdom of God and then have God say, I'm going to keep investing money back into you? That's killer. But this is what God says. He says, I'm going to invest money back into you so that you can keep doing what you just did and more. We talk about it at Compass as living open-handed. It's one of our core values. It's who we are as a church. It's who we strive to be. And if you're going to be part of Compass, this is a direction you're headed or else you're going to have a tough time hanging out, hanging with our culture here because we live with open hands. And when you live with open hands, it means this, that you take your hands toward God and whatever's in your hands is available to him. And he can ask you to give it. He could take it right out. And when your hands are open, there's nothing you can do because like your hands are closed tight. You can hang on to it. It's yours to keep. But when you open your hands, God can take it. And you know what? When your hands are open, God will. God will say, hey, I want you to dump out your hands, whatever's in it over here, because this is important to me. But when you do that, God then pours more into your hands. And so what you dumped out towards what was his priority, he pours more in, and he allows you to pour it out into something else. And then he pours more in, and he allows you to pour it out into something else. And it's just, you're, you keep getting poured into and poured into and poured into as you pour out and as you pour out and as you pour out. And God says this, but you have a choice, though. 
you can open your hands to me and you can bless others and I can pour more into you. I can invest more into you as you are investing into my kingdom. Or you can close your hands over what I've given you and you can hold on tight to it and you can use it for whatever you want and that's cool and you can have security and you can know that you're okay. But when I try to pour more into your hands, I can't because you can't pour something into something that's closed. And God can't pour more of his resources into closed hands. And maybe you haven't seen God enrich you and invest in you because you've been doing this. And maybe God's been trying to pour out his blessing onto you, but it's just bouncing off your knuckles because he's saying, just pry your hands open and let me pour into you. You're going to have to let me take, but I'll give it back. Because when we invest in the kingdom of God, you can expect to see God invest back into you as you invest into his kingdom. It's a spiritual law. It's a basic biblical principle of stewardship. When we are faithful with a little bit, God will trust us with more. Generosity causes God to invest more into us because he knows that he can trust us with what he's given. He can trust us. Fourth thing that happens that you can expect to see in your life when you invest in the kingdom of God is that it changes the people that we help. We talked about how it blesses them, how it's, it's a blessing to them that they're provided for. It's a blessing for them to hear the gospel. It's a blessing for them to get food, to have a well dug, to, to, to get clothes, to have how, you know, shelter. It's a blessing to them in, in that. But Paul says this, when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Now that's interesting Paul doesn't say when you give your gifts or when we take your gifts to those who are in need, they will send you the biggest thank you note and they're going to say, oh, thank you, Chris. You are, thank you for your generosity, Chris. You're amazing. Paul says this. They're going to thank God. See, when we invest in kingdom priorities, when we invest our resources into the kingdom, it doesn't just provide for a person's need, but there's this spiritual component that happens that changes something inside of them. And, and, and it doesn't turn their eyes to us in gratitude, but it turns their hearts and it turns their eyes to God in gratitude and thanksgiving and joy. Doesn't it feel good to be part of making a difference in someone's life? Doesn't it feel good to, to be taking a part in opening someone's eyes to God's love to help them? To, and he's, whether you're giving helps someone learn about Jesus or feeds the hungry or digs a well or any of those things, they will be thankful and they will be thankful to God and they will experience a joy that comes from him. And what you're doing is you're beginning to build a bridge between them and God with your gift. It blessed them, but it will change them. You change someone's life for the better. You change someone's heart for the better, not just because you're feeding or clothing someone, but you're equipping them to have a whole new outlook, a whole new perspective on life, and a perspective that this, there's a God who loves them, and there's a God who through his people is investing in their well-being. Can I tell you this? No organization in the world should be as good at making a difference in people's lives as the church. None. Not the Red Cross. Nobody. Nobody should make as much of a difference in people's lives as the church. And this, I, this, I didn't write this down, but like, this is just a neat statistic, and I'm a statistic guy. I like this. But if everyone who called themselves a Christian, not just everyone who went to church, everyone who said, I am a follower of Jesus, if everyone who is a follower of Jesus gave 10% of their income globally, every single one of us just gave 10%, we would wipe out hunger. It would be gone. There would be no hunger in the world. 
because the resources would be there. We, we would wipe out illiteracy around the world. There would be resources enough to teach children to read and to educate them around the world. Just if people who said they were followers of Jesus gave 10% of their income. That's the power that God has given us. That's the resource that he's given us. And when we invest in it, it changes people. It has the power to change the world. The fifth thing that you can expect to see, the return on your investment, is that people will be drawn to Jesus. And you'll see him respond to the gospel. Paul says this, as a result of your ministry. As re- and what is the ministry we're talking about? Literally the result of your giving. As a result of your giving, the people you are helping will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. There's a couple things here. First is that our giving, our generosity, it points people to Jesus. Like I said, it builds that bridge to them. But it also means this, that your giving is directly tied to your testimony. Your testimony about the life change that God has done in your life. Your testimony as a follower of God, as someone who surrendered and laid down your life to him, experienced his forgiveness, someone who, who, who looks at the cross as a symbol of our forgiveness and our life. Your giving is directly tied to that testimony. And your giving will either affirm your testimony of what God has done, or it will cast doubt on your testimony as a follower of Jesus. Because generosity that Jesus calls us to, the generosity that transforms the world and changes people's lives, that Jesus' followers are supposed to engage in, it reflects the generous heart of our God. We become Jesus to the people we support. We become Jesus when we invest in his kingdom priorities and his Jesus principles. What this literally means is this, when you give towards the ministries of this church, then you are directly involved in leading people to Jesus. Now, I know that sometimes it's hard when you're at work or at school and someone's like, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you're like, oh, I just went to church. Like, oh, really? Tell me about your church. And you're like, chairs, music, you know. (laughs) Sometimes, there are the... Listen, I've been there. It can be hard to tell people about Jesus and our relationship with him. I, it's, I don't know why it is. It's just weird. It's like, eh, should, is this, should I do this? Is McDonald's a place to talk about Jesus? I don't know. Uh, you know. It can be weird. But this is what Paul is saying. Your giving is a testimony. Your giving speaks to who you follow. Your giving speaks to your God's priorities. Your giving is direct involvement to proclaiming the name of Jesus and leading people into a life-changing relationship with him. And it strengthens your testimony. It strengthens the testimony of your life that God changes the world. And why? It's so simple. It's so simple why that strengthens your testimony. Because if we say that we serve a God that changes the world, then how could we possibly not give our resources to the God who we believe is changing the world when he asks us to? How could we possibly not say yes when God says invest in my kingdom if our testimony is that God can change lives? Our giving is directly tied to our testimony and Jesus' love is not just a story that we tell. It's something that we live out with our investment of our time and our talent, and our treasure. Let me say that again. Our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not just a story that we tell with our words, but it's something that we live out with our lives and with our investments of our time and our talent and our resources. 
Five returns on investment. Here's the sixth one. This is the last one. I told you I'd move quick. I hope I'm going to do it on time. This is the last thing that you can expect to see happen when you invest in the kingdom of God, and that is this. People will pray for you. Paul says this, and they, the people you've helped, will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Who doesn't want people praying for them? Like, even if you don't even, even if you don't even believe in it, like, doesn't it mean something when someone just comes up to you and they know you're, know you're going through a hard time and they're like, hey man, I just want you to know I'm thinking of you and praying for you. Like, you're on their mind. You matter to them. You're important to them. Now add in the fact that as followers of Jesus, we believe that prayer is literally what transforms the world. That prayer is where God's power is, is manifest and reflected and poured out. Who doesn't want people praying for them and lifting them up? Because I'll tell you this, every time that Terry and I give, I mean, we have automated giving set up, so it just happens, right? We, we've got it set up so that it just happens. But then there's things that we give to in addition where God asks us to and we give. You know, we, I, I, can't, remember, it's, we, I can't remember the name of the deal, but we, we've adopted a kid or a couple kids in Haiti that we give towards every month. I feel like such an idiot. Compassion International, that's what it is. We give towards Compassion International, you know, and we get little letters from this little girl, uh, you know, thanking us for our investment in her, and little things saying she's praying for us, she's invested in us, and it's awesome. And here's the thing. Every time we give, like, it is not just like, you know, a balloon drop and confetti cannons. You know, it is not just like, everything's going great, my life is awesome. That's not it. There's times where life sucks, Right? There's times where we're going through crap that it's just like, I can't even see above these weeds. And now God's asking me to give to invest in his kingdom. It's not always a dance party when God asks us to give, when God asks us to invest. But you know what? The best part of it is this, is that when we do give, I know this, that I'm investing in people who are lifting me up. And so when, when life does suck, when I am going through the crap and it's miserable and I'm stuck in the weeds and I'm down in a pit, I know this, that because of my investment in the kingdom of God, an outcome of that is there's people who are praying for me. There's people who are praying for me, who are thinking about me because I invested in the kingdom of God, which means I invested in their lives being changed and transformed. Which means I was a part of supporting them and helping them and pointing them to Jesus and giving them a new joy and a new relationship with God. And as a result of that, they're invested in me. Who doesn't want people praying for them? How much could God do in my life if I had people praying for me all the time? Terry and I and the leadership of our church, we pray for the people of Compass all the time. We do. And I pray for people I pray for the people who give to support our mission. I pray that God will bless you. I pray that God will return your investment 10 times over. I pray that God will prove himself in the area of your resources, that everything you touch is blessed. I pray for you. And I'm not the only one. Because God's promise is this. An outcome of your generosity towards his kingdom is that people are praying for you. There is a return on investment when you invest in the kingdom of God, you will have all you need. God will meet your needs when you give. It'll be a blessing to others. It'll change their lives. 
God will equip you with more so that you can be even more generous. It changes people's lives. It changes their eternal destinies. People will be drawn to Jesus as a result of your generosity. And then the final return on your investment is that people are going to care about you, and they're going to pray for you, and they're going to ask God to bless you even more. There is a return when you invest in the kingdom of God. Christian, this is for you. And you know what? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, I'll just tell you this. I think Christians should all invest in their local church because the vessel is a tool that God's using to make a difference. I think it's probably a good idea for people who aren't followers of Jesus to invest in their local church because someday you're going to need your local church. Someday something's going to happen and you're going to be glad your local church is here because we're going to be able to pour back and invest in you. I'm talking about an investment that brings a return every single time. And the spiritual return, this is what's awesome. The return, we see it in other people's lives, but half of these things are spiritual returns that come back to us. Spiritual returns that we begin seeing happen in our lives. So here's the thing, don't spend, invest. When we spend, we put the important spiritual matters of life, we put them last. We put the things that matter most to God, we put them last. If there's enough left over after I do this and after I pay my bills and after I take care of this stuff and school's coming, if there's enough left over, I'll give. That's spending. And when we spend, we never have enough to invest. It's just a fact. And it's likely that your retirement account looks pretty similar to your spiritual investment account when you have a spending mindset because there's just never enough left to invest. That's why God says this, give first. Give first, and I will take care of the rest. Don't spend. Invest. Investments come out of my paycheck first, and they're non-negotiable because I refuse to. Here's the thing. In my investment in the kingdom of God is non-negotiable because I refuse to miss out on the return that God has shown me that he pours out in my life. I just won't miss out on it. I've seen him do it in me. I've seen him do it in the lives of others who invest in the kingdom of God. And I will not miss out on that, that return on investment. I just won't. Because I've seen it at work. And my hope for you is that exactly the same thing would happen. Is that you would look at this and you'd say, I cannot miss out on this opportunity. I cannot miss out on this return on investment. I have to be part of this. I have to be investing in what God is doing. To stop spending, but investing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, and Lord I, Lord, I know that sometimes there's things that we talk about that are sticky and front-loaded and, and God, the issues that make the church, maybe the church has gotten wrong a lot of times in the past as well, God. And I pray this, Jesus, that we as your people would never be about enriching ourselves or enriching an organization, but that, God, we would always be about enriching others because that's what you're about. You're about people. You're about others first. And I pray, Jesus, that we would invest in your kingdom, that we would invest in your church, that we would invest in your priorities because we are others first too. Pray that you would help us to trust you. I pray that you would help us, God, to see the return on the investment that we make when we invest in your kingdom. And God, I thank you for those who've already been doing this, God, who this has just become a lifestyle to them. I thank you that you've proven yourself, and I pray that you would continue to prove yourself. And God, for them, I pray that this return on investment would come true, that you would enrich them even more so that they can become more generous. And I pray for those, God, who've been scared to give because they just haven't seen the return. And honestly, God, the needs of life seem so big in comparison to what we could possibly get back when we give towards your kingdom. 
I pray, Jesus, that you would give them courage and boldness. And I pray, Father, that they would see the fact that you stand miles above their problems, that you stand miles above their needs, and that you are the God who can do impossible things. And you do impossible things in the area of our need, particularly, God, when we open up our hands to you. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people, that we'd be a church that lives with open hands. And I pray this, God, I pray this almost every week when we give. I pray, Father, that every dime that we give would be leveraged towards impacting people's lives with the gospel, towards impacting people's lives with the love of God, towards impacting people's lives in tangible, practical ways that improve where they are so their eternity can be improved with the love of Jesus. Lord, let us be that church. Help us to live with open hands. And thank you and pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.